Art Next Door, prepared by Tuche Eren. Art Next Door features the independent art scene in Neukölln and Berlin. Free community-based art, socially engaged artistic practice, artist-led project spaces, collectives, emerging and young artists. News and interviews will be broadcast in Art Next Door on Keith FM. This is the fifth episode of Art Next Door, which is an online radio show at Keith FM and also a podcast on Anchor. Now we are at Somos and then we're gonna talk how Somos was founded and then we will talk to Oliver later about the upcoming exhibition. But could you please tell how Somos was founded and then your background? Yeah, sure. Well, thank you uh, to begin with uh, for doing the interview. Uh, my name is uh, Paulus Fugers and I started Somos uh, in 2012 with three other artists um, and the, that's also then the history before Somos. I met uh, two of these artists in a artist house, like a studio house in Friedrichshain. That was the old brewery in the Landsberger Allee 54, uh, where me and my partner, we had a 400 square meter studio space, uh, storage. We also lived there. We also had an exhibition space there. And in the building were at one moment up to, I don't know, 80 artist studios. There were uh, a number of uh, exhibition spaces, different sizes, very different programs also that they featured. Uh, in that house, we had um, an organization, like a structure set up to organize festivals that we could uh, in in the house we had a big courtyard where we could you know play there was a huge basement where we had then parties loud and dirty because nobody you know was uh, complaining that was then around 2008 I think up to 2011 and in that was like a quite a hub you know you uh, artists were at your disposal so to say when you would set up an uh, and a project or, or an exhibition or a festival or anything. It was a, like a beehive, you know, it was a very versatile. We also went to the uh, Art Fair de Berliner Kunstsalon that year that was held just down the street actually in the old uh, meatpacking district, the Landsbergallee. So that was a very, you know, buzzing time. And then at some point the house got condemned by the authorities uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, the building was in a, in a poor state. There was no heating, there was no water, there was, uh, you know, it was very primitive and it was, you know, falling apart, basically. The owner just had it as a, for the purpose of speculation, etc. The usual story, I guess. So then we had to leave the house from one moment to the next. I mean, if you are, if the house is condemned by the authorities, then there is no way to uh, go around it. I mean, we were in contact with the mayor and with politicians and everybody was like, oh, this is, you know, a great project that we want to support. But there was, you know, end of the discussion when something like that happened. So then we had to look for an alternative space. That was then around 2011, right? So, yeah, and then we were four and we found this 
the loft it was uh, when we got here 2012 an empty space with no divisions it had been a pool hall for many many years i think for about 20 years or something uh, it had also been in the 1960s a porn a cinema uh, before that it was a cafe house so it went through different uh, stages which uh, I like the, the you know the history of, of a space the so we had like 400 square meters that we could uh, divide according to our idea of a, a residency uh, house so we had the idea of having a public space the private artist studios and the general shared living facilities and uh, that's how we designed the floor plan, which is uh, a rare occasion, of course, that you can design, actually, your own floor plan. There was a, a big challenge, of course, also. It took us a year to set it up and, and build it. After a year, we could start the gallery program, at least. And yeah, from there on, it, so 2013, it grew, uh, the, especially the, the residency program grew because first we were just the four of us and then it was like through word of mouth that we invited friends to come live with us and, and uh, work on a project and show it in the gallery. I think it was after two years that we actually opened it up to a wider audience and also set up our website, you know, where applications came in from basically all over the world and uh, yeah, step by step it grew and uh, now we are in our eighth year already and uh, still going. How many artists can you accommodate at once during the residency time? Yeah, we can hold up to six artists on this floor and then two more artists in the house next door. So a total of uh, eight artists we can have at the same time. And it's different uh, uh, media that we can support. It can be, you know, painters, sculpturers, uh, even welders, metal workers. Musicians is more of a problem. I mean, it's a residential building, so that needs uh, special attention. But uh, we try to be open for, you know, anything that is uh, possible here. So how many... Uh seasons do you have for the residency is it like a quarterly or have you well the, the residency duration is is three months but that's yeah just for practical reasons since many come from outside of europe it's easy to get a visitor's a visa for uh, 90 days and that's basically the time frame that we offer but we are open also for longer periods also for shorter periods uh, in case one is uh, wants to be in berlin for research purposes or to connect that kind of stuff so it's uh, we're flexible hmm. in terms of funding are they funding themselves or is it possible for them to apply for funding as well are you helping right them? Yeah. yeah yeah very good question i uh, most cases the artists apply for funding in their home country and we support an application then with a letter of invitation uh, sometimes we write to, to the well, the consulate or the embassy there that uh, is a case-to-case -case matter but uh, mostly um, the artists have then funding from their local art councils yeah 
Is there anything that you want to add about your programming as well in general? How do you, well, maybe how about do you cater uh, that? Yeah, maybe about the the gallery program that is then so not you don't get automatically an exhibition in the gallery. That's something that w we decide, like the, you know, the level of professionality, etc. The gallery program as such is, is relatively open. The biggest chunk is indeed the resident artists that present their work in different shapes, different formats. It can be a group show, it can be a solo show, it can be a screening or a performance. That is one. Then we have shows that we curate in-house. So we are currently then three curators here and we have our own, you know, exhibition ideas and invite on the basis of an exhibition concept. And third, we have then curators addressing us for their own projects uh, to be shown here. And yeah, I think that's the main three formats that we have in the gallery. So, Oliver, um, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, I know that you're artist and curator, and then now you're curating the upcoming show here at Somos. So, could you please tell about yourself and then your upcoming exhibition here? Sure. So, my name is Oliver Doherty. I'm um, an Australian artist based in Berlin and also a curator. I am studying currently in my Masters of Spatial Strategies at the Weizensee Academy of Arts in Berlin. And a lot of my work, yeah, a lot of my work comes from this idea of viewing the relations between human and non-human life in terms of an ecosystem and seeing what sort of different implications this metaphor can bring to us. So I have my own artistic practice, which is sort of being developed a lot with film, um, discussion, performance. But I think the main role that I have in the arts is as a curator. I've been curating exhibitions for about six years now or so in Australia, in the Netherlands, and now here in Germany. Yeah, I've been involved in SOMOS for about the past two and a half years or so in different different ways, different shapes. I helped them um, co-develop uh, an exhibition called Unbecoming, which was part of the series that is done here in collaboration with the Berlin Porn Film Festival. So it's an exhibition series all about the interconnections between technology, sexuality, etc. Well, my current project here is a little bit more independent, I guess. So coming up next week, so between September 18 and October 10, there will be the Futurelist Group exhibition opening. This is a project that I've been working on for about the past year. Basically, the idea of the exhibition is to really give a platform to queer and feminist artists that are trying to imagine a different future and trying to imagine something that's looks radically different from how we are living today and keeping in mind certain implications of what it means to be living in a digital world, what it means to be living in a world that is becoming increasingly ecologically precarious. I think the project was really born out of this idea that, yeah, there's sort of, there, like a, a lot of artists today, I think, really see, and well, a lot of people in general really see that the system that we have now, there are, there are many bankrupt, kind of broken promises to it, like the our modes of production are really failing and there's and this idea of like unlimited growth, for example, people just don't really buy it anymore and they shouldn't. <laughs> so it's, yeah, the project really came out of this idea of really focusing on the fact that these 
certain promises of what our future could have looked like to some people are really broken now because we can't rely on these old modes of production and these old concepts. So what we're left with is kind of a, a blank canvas or something or a void in the place of where our future could have been. And instead of seeing this as something that is, um, I guess, like scary or terrifying or, or ominous, in Futurist Group Exhibition, the artists and myself are choosing to view it more as an opportunity. So more as a, yeah, a chance to imagine other possibilities. And there is, yeah, there are many different ways that different artists are doing that. I think the project really connects itself to a long history of queer feminist futurism. So looking at different queer feminist sci-fi writers and performers and filmmakers and understanding that our images of our idea ideas of what a radical queer feminist future could look like is also kind of stepping on the shoulders of those who've come before us yeah i think there are many different ideas that are on that will be on display during futureless and i think all of the works the work presented can be considered as a sort of proposal for a different kind of future some of the futures that the artists are imagining are to do with yeah, imagining a borderless future or imagining a future in which, yeah, we've learned from, like, we're passing on knowledge from previous generations, futures that look towards mythological ideas and cosmological ideas, futures in which perhaps we're not even human anymore. When I hear futureless, I expect something more dystopic, mm -hmm. but the way that you are actually describing from the content is not necessarily so featureless doesn't mean that it is a dystopic situation, but it has more different layers of possibilities, more possibilities, more than one possibility. That's how I understand. So it is interesting to hear different ideas of being borderless mm -hmm. or having non-human integrity of humanity, because this has been already an issue in the last decades that mm -hmm. We're even discussing what is nature is and then how it is different than culture and then why we call culture opposing to a nature. So all this discussion somehow fits very well within your uh, curatorial context and curatorial interest, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about yeah these ideas of dystopia and futureless because I think, yeah, the, the title sounds very depressing at first glance, but in many ways I think what is happening in this project is really that we're taking this idea of a lost future and sort of, a, I guess, reclaiming it and um, turning it into something liberatory or emancipatory. Yeah, and I think especially when queer and feminist voices really try to understand or generate a new idea of future, they are coming from positions of marginality, they're coming up from positions of struggle, and it's through that as well that they're building a new future that actually is more caring, is more empathetic, is more resilient, for example. Throughout the exhibition, will there be any other public program, or is this going to be only an exhibition setup? Sure, so there is also um, an online event which will be taking place on the 29th of September. It's called Symbiotic Storytelling. Um, it will be, it's basically an evening in which I present um, three different artists' work. So it's from performance to readings. Those three artists are Zoe Marden, uh, Nia B, and Clay Aiding. So Zoe, and, Zoe will present, be presenting a lecture performance which looks into the ideas of the sort of mythologies that surround mermaids and looks at them as sort of models for an idea of like a multi-species future that we could be moving towards. 
Nia B's performance comes out of a transfeminine posthumanist perspective, and she will be conducting a sort of ritual in which she, yeah, basically travels underground and imagines these sort of enchanting underground expanses as spaces that are sort of that can offer healing from the sort of intense chaos and identity focused above world in quotation marks. <laughs> and um, Clay AD will be reading from their debut novel called uh, titled Met Metabolize If Able, which is basically a sort of uh, a queer hybrid dystopian novel. And this basically looks into the politics of sickness in, yeah, in a dystopian world. And there'll also be holding meditations as well. So as I said, the novel is quite a, has quite a hybrid form. It's not just story or narrative, it's also, there are letters in there, there are sort of every chapter begins with a meditation or a sort of visualization even. So Clay will be conducting those as well. That evening is really focused around, yeah, I mean, this idea of symbiosis and what does that mean? So looking at symbiosis as a sort of model for future existence, looking into sort of the many different forms of like beneficial relationships that take place on our earth between humans and other species as well as not pertaining to humans at all. And yeah, really looking at some more dystopian things but also some more um, inspiring elements to yeah create a, some sort of model for a shared future existence I would say. Is this going to be a live stream or is this going to be like a webinar or with the, the, how it is going to be mediated? Will it be like a limited audience? It's going to be a live stream uh, event and there will be information coming up on our uh, social media channels and websites soon. I mean, what, what I also find interesting about the opportunity of hosting a live online event, I mean, Maybe I should say that the Futurelist was actually originally going to open April 1st this year and of course was postponed due to all of the madness, quite ironically, honestly, with the title of Futurelist. Um, but thankfully, the project found some new Danes. In the planning stage of this project, I guess live online events weren't so um, popular and weren't seen as such an option. And that's only something that... So it wasn't in the, in the original program, actually, this evening. We were going to be hosting um, live in-house performances, but to keep the numbers down, we're now transferring it that all online. But yeah, I think there are a number of different interesting implications that come out of that. For one, I think the question of the audience becomes totally different. I mean, now also we don't have to... Somebody doesn't need to be in Berlin or even in the gallery itself to be able to come and witness the events. They can do it from their home, they can do it internationally. So that's been quite an interesting outcome from all of this um, in terms of thinking through what our audience, who our audience will be. And I think I've seen also the, the artists themselves really transform many of their performances and their artworks in a kind of remarkable way that really makes use of the tools that we have in a virtual space. The, and so I think all of the, the pieces that will be presented during symbiotic storytelling will, they're pieces that couldn't yeah, really happen in the same way in a physical space. And that for yeah, me is so more exciting than anything. Understanding of futures. Yeah. And then I'm saying in plural on purpose. Yes. Because from the list of the artists as well, it is so diverse yes. from different regions as well. Uh, I'm sure they will bring very interesting storytellings from different regions of the, of the, of the world. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do say futures as a pl in its plural form because there are so many different proposals that are on display within Futureless. 
And many of them are overlapping, but um, many of them propose something really, really different to one another. So I'm going to try to explain a few of the works, or introduce a few of the works. There is a work by, a, a watercolor series of paintings by Crimean artist in exile, uh, Maria Kolokovska, with Oleg Vinichenko. So basically what this work does is it takes the original documents that were used as Kulikovska was migrating, migrating in different forms, like when she moved to Sweden, when she was registering herself as an IDP from Crimea, taking all these different, basically taking the paper trail and using it as a canvas to express her ideas uh, and frustrations about this whole system, and really to look at and to start to generate ideas of what a world would look like if it didn't have any borders. Yeah, this work is quite interesting too because the, the piece is titled The Constitution of Autonomous Republic of Zina Maria, and Zina is basically the alter ego of Kulikovska. It's, uh, yeah, she's described as Zina from the Forbidden Land, basically, and I find that an interesting um, description because for Kulikovska, she actually can't return to the Crimea, to the Crimean Peninsula, because her political artwork was labeled as degenerative. So for her, her home is also some form of forbidden space, and by creating this alter ego, it's creating a sort of fiction that allows her to really speak through these personal, very personal issues. Oh, another work that deals with borders, but perhaps in a really different way, is um, the yeah, the multidisciplinary installation called Tidrack by New York-based artist Heather Renee Russ. And basically this piece revolves around a, a video work that is projected through a fish tank, which creates a sort of refracted projection. And it's a video that shows different queer and feminist artists and activists, and they're basically frolicking and playing at the shores of different queer beaches in New York. So Russ basically looks at these spaces, or maybe I should say first that the word tide rack, it actually refers to sort of the line or the border on a beach's shoreline where basically where the land meets the water and where the sea will wash up different materials. And she sort of looks at this space, this border, um, and considers that these queer beaches one day, they're basically like, yeah, they could one day be lost because of climate change. And how do we exist within these spaces and celebrate their existence, yet also feel anxious for an uncertain future and still come together and kind of uh, support one another in that feeling of anxiety of one day we will be displaced because this will be destroyed. But there are other pieces that, or other elements to that installation as well. There are different um, prints that show sort of objects of queer feminine, that represent queer feminist identity in some way. So things like wigs, fake eyelashes, so they're printed in ways that look like different sea creatures. She also has a sculptural work, which is um, a wig that she left underground and at the shore to kind of churn with the water, and it's sort of combined in a really fragile way with whatever the shore washed up. Yeah, so that is another piece that we be presented. There's also the work of Falo Mayanya. She's an artist based in uh, Lisbon right now. Her work is called All the Inescapable 3, and it's basically a, uh, it's a video installation. And Mayanya uses a lot of, um, she delves into digital archives a lot. And in this piece, she basically creates a sort of narrative or assemblage of different, particularly Afrofuturist voices um, that come together in a sort of audio collage and 
there are different speeches that talk about um, community, that talk about resilience, strength, and kind of, yeah, they take elements of the history and together they form one voice. So together they form sort of one narrative. Yeah, and this is coupled with video of a performance as well, where there's a masked performer basically, and this person is kind of a genderless being that could be seen as the person that is saying, or like the, the, the speaker of um, these speeches, and that's blended with different images of seeds growing. So the installation basically acts as a space to really like sit down, reflect, and think about our relation to communities, and particularly in response to voices that are not only Afrofuturist, but also queer and feminist, basically. Then the next piece I'll talk about is um, by an artist named Anna M. Saflaski. She's an um, artist based in Berlin, um, who's normally a writer and a book publisher, although in future she'll be presenting, I guess, a rather experimental short video. It's a work that illustrates a complex idea in a really simple way, which I love. And basically the viewer just sees an image of different pieces of domestic furniture falling from the sky as if they're being pushed out of, like, as, as if it's like the planetary immune system kind of expelling these objects from the sky. Yeah, and the setting is kind of this natural uh, green setting. This piece basically refers to the liberatory possibilities of deconstructing the domestic realm. So what happens when we actually destroy certain harmful traditions? And the artist is speaking specifically about here different gender relations related to the domestic realm. So family units, certain gender roles, etc. So Anna, so Tsaflaski's work is titled Will You Please Be Quiet? So yeah, this piece very, feels very emancipatory, which is nice, a nice sense of release. Yeah, so the next work I'll speak about is a sculptural piece titled Punching Bag by uh, Chinese-American artist Jen Guo. The piece is, it basically, as the title suggests, it takes the form of a boxer's punching bag that is adorned with a number of um, patchwork breast forms, basically. The artist here really speaks about the resilience of women and the resilience of femininity against patriarchal oppression throughout history. A lot of Guo's work actually, like her previous work, she looks into a lot of um, like folk art basically and really looks at kind of like old Chinese scriptures and how they have an influence today for example. And yeah, this work really has a historical perspective too. She specifically uses like patchwork textile to kind of reference the legacy of craft in feminist art. One beautiful metaphor that I think comes with this work and that I think allows us to imagine this kind of resilient future that um, Guo describes is if you can imagine a fist punching a punching bag over and over again, even though this like mascu very masculine object is seen to be so strong somehow, and or at least the, the boxer is seen to be so strong, actually the object itself, the punching bag, will that will remain intact. It won't be harmed by all of the blows that will be hit to it. What will actually happen is the boxer, it will be the boxer's fist that will start bleeding and grazing, etc. And this is a sort of metaphor which I think really speaks to what Guo is illustrating in her work, that no matter how many blows will be hit towards femininity, patriarchy is going to be the one that 
is really harmed throughout history, or really um, deconstructed. So the next work I would speak about is a piece by Joanne Newman. She's a London-based artist. Like Jen Guo's work, it also um, deals with uh, or makes use of like this history of craft in feminist art and in, as, as a sort of like as, as a task that is traditionally relegated to women and kind of turns this history into something empowering as well. Um, like domestic labor kind of? Yeah, exactly. Domestic labor. Yeah, domestic labor and um, reference to care too. So her piece is titled Blanket for the Futurist and a Carrier Bag of Stars. In this piece, basically, so there's two textile sculptures based in this work. There's a blanket and a bag, and they're both crocheted from leftover pieces of fabric um, to reference this sort of like uh, method of salvaging and um, mending. Here, that basically, this act of interweaving the words of queer feminist sci-fi writers within the blanket, it basically is done in order to show the viewer that when that we are approaching a very uncertain and kind of precarious future, and we don't know what that would look like, but we will have the words, we will have the dreams and the ideas of our queer feminist visionaries to comfort and support us and provide warmth for a future, an uncertain future, um, but a future that we can also generate together and a future that we can dream of together. And then the second part of the piece is the carrier bag of stars, and that's a reference to a theory by Ursula K. Le Guin, who's a very famed uh, feminist sci-fi writer. And in this theory, she basically states that the first tool used by humanity was not a weapon, but it was rather a carrier bag for food. And that basically centers women as the first creators. So in this piece, Newman basically recreates a carrier bag of stars, gives the opportunity to for viewers to basically create different ideas within the bag itself. So there'll be a writing station set up where the audience is encouraged to sketch different ideas for a queer feminist future that they might have, and then to add that to the bag. And so the, the bag is kind of collecting different ideas across the entire exhibition and generating different possibilities. There, yeah, there are a few more pieces in Futurelist that I would like to talk about. I talked already about the lecture performance that would take place by um, Zoe Martin, which she also actually has an installation in that will be presented during Futurelist. The title of both the lecture performance and the installation is Momania, Tales of Tentacularity, um, and in brackets, The Tentacles of Covid Capitalism. A lot of Martin's work in general looks at different mythological beings and looks at them in terms, it looks at how they are gendered and looks at how they relate to different um, ideas of queerness and how they sort of transform the idea of a human or transform the idea of, yeah, societal living, I guess. So in this particular piece, as you might, might have guessed from the title, she looks towards mermaids as, yeah, sort of, as these interesting creatures because in the West, when they've been mentioned in different stories, on one hand, they are really enchanting and empowering, and, but they are also kind of interwoven into this um, monstrous feminine archetype. So sometimes they're also used to sort of uh, denigrate women, I think. But nonetheless, they continue and they survive and they still exist as these like, um, yeah, very empowering models, I guess. And yeah, Martin really looks at the implications of how mermaids are treated in pop culture, in 
different stories and how this could point towards a sort of multi-species future. And I guess something of a multi-species future is also referenced in um, the piece Voices from the Interior by artist duo uh, Arish Huniti and Eliza Goldox. They, their work is quite an eco-feminist work, I would say. They originally presented this piece last year in Amman, in Jordan. It consists of different elements that center mainly around one uh, VR piece, basically. So it's one... And the whole work in general is based around a sort of disappeared river in Amman. So there was once a river there that has now dried up. It's completely covered by rubble and the piece really looks at what kind of ideas can be generated from this polluted river. Like, it's a pile of debris now, but what possibilities are there? So in the VR work, you hear the voices of a number of women from Amman that they have interviewed about their relation to this river that is now no longer there, something of a forgotten river, but whether they could imagine it coming back, whether they had any memories of the river, like, so on. And the piece also looks towards different forms of Arabic cosmologies, particularly um, based around one fish named Bahamut, which is basically um, described as the fish that carries the world on her back. So she's a giant female fish um, that, yeah, is meant to represent some sort of like worldliness and um, femininity. She holds the world and she takes on the um, burdens of the world. And by using this fish as a sort of, um, yeah, I guess a starting point or a discussion point, there are different mythological ideas that are passed around within the work. In the voices of the women that you hear during um, the VR piece, there's also a text on the wall that are based around different mythological ideas. And there's also one archival work that actually shows the, the river itself in its sort of heyday. So those are all the pieces that are presented in the physical space itself. And then there are three other works which will be presented online. So I already mentioned, for example, um, the piece by Zoe Marden. So she will be, during symbiotic storytelling, the live online event, she will also hold a lecture performance. And she's also just looking at these sort of border-crossing potentials of mermaids. Nia B's piece, Hollow Spaces, is, yeah, a trans-feminine post-humanist work. And she really conducts a ritual there. She really looks at different labels that are put on the body and different, um, uh, I guess, kind of restricting um, situations that humans find themselves in. Like, for example, when you're at the whim of a virtually, uh, sorry, a visually saturated world, um, when you're just a kind of dot in the algorithm, and how can we break away from this, basically, or how can we find spaces of healing from that? And then, yes, there's also the De readings from Clay A.D.'s debut novel, Metabolize If Able. So this queer dystopian world in which, yeah, it's basically a world in which uh, is populated by clones whose health is controlled by a monopolizing corporation. And it follows a small group of clones as they kind of collectively organize and try to rally against this corporation who controls their sickness, their health, their work their life, their death. Now, during Futurelist, we will also host a workshop by three interdisciplinary artists that are coming together in collaboration for the first time, which is very exciting. Those three artists are Maxime Poirot, Eddie Levin, and Hela Kupa, and the title of the entire piece is Meanderings, Articulations, and Resonance. 
So um, the work itself is basically built out of a need to celebrate rather than stigmatize neurodivergent behavior. And it is based around a series of small uh, sculptural objects that are displayed in the exhibition space throughout uh, Futurelist's duration. So these are kind of these small, um, sort of unconventional looking objects. And during the workshop itself, which will be hosted just by Poirot and Levin, uh, they will lead a small group of participants to interact with these objects uh, using queer performative methods in ways that are sort of, in ways that emphasize forms of gentle communication and interaction and thinking through doing. So in this piece, they're really, the artists are really looking to come together in the presence to hold space for one another, to care for one another and be aware of one another with the aim of building skills for the future. Thank you so much for your time. It was very, very interesting for me to hear the details of the project and then having an audio go through of the exhibition without seeing it. So it makes me much more excited to see it soon. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for inviting me for this interview. Um, and yeah, as I said, the Futurelist is opening September 18 and running until October 10. I'd really love to see you there slash any of the listeners that might be hearing my voice right now. <laughs> You're very uh, welcome. So what is the thing hours? Uh, at Somos it's open Tuesday to Saturday 2 to 7 p.m. RSVP is required at the moment so just send us an email or there is also a form that can be filled out on the Somos website just to book a time to take a look at everything. And then of course you're all welcome to um, yeah tune into the live online event 29th of September Symbiotic Storytelling. Check our website for more information. Thanks. Art Next Door Prepared by Tucha Era Art Next Door is a bi-weekly radio show on Keith FM.